Welcome to The Contented Collective, a weekly podcast about business, marketing and entrepreneurship in Australia. This week with Nick Mercer, CEO of Mercer Bell, we talk about selling his independent agency to the behemoth Saatchi and Saatchi, managing agency margins versus the ever-growing client expectations list, the rise of customer experience as a discipline, and we also speculate about face talk. Zuckerberg, you can have that one for free, mate. I'm Kate Constantine, and this is The Contented Collective. Today, I am lucky enough to be joined by the lovely Nick Mercer from Mercer Bell. He's the CEO and he has recently sold his wonderful independent business to the likes of the lovely French people at Publicis or Publicis, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And he's joining me here today at the Contented Collective. Welcome. Thank you, Kate. I'm very happy to be here. Ah, pleasure's all mine. (laughs) Let's jump straight into it. We, you know, we've already started chatting and we turned on the mics because we don't want to use all the good stuff just on me without everyone listening. But, you know, we started talking about, you know, the changing landscape that is, you know, the agency and marketing environment, which really is a reflection on the changing client environment. Tell me, you know, how has your business evolved from 99 when you started as an Mm. independent to today where you're now owned by a massive multinational that's worth billions of dollars. Yeah, look, I think um, I think the progression and the evolution of our business is probably quite reflective of the way the industry's changed. Back in 99, we set up as a direct marketing, a CRM agency. Today, we position ourselves as a customer experience agency. And I think what's really happened is that we've got so many... We've really moved from the, the era of brand into the era of the customer. And technology, the internet, these things have really sort of changed the marketing environments. Mm. And so therefore, we've evolved our business to be able to continue to help communicate to customers and prospects, but through a broader set of channels. And, you know, if you, I mean, customer experience is the buzzword, isn't it? Everywhere you go now, it's a customer experience conference. Yeah, I know. Um, but you What know, does it, it even mean? Look, I mean, put simply, all it means is that, you know, rather than being a product-focused business, mm. um, a car manufacturer, you're becoming a customer-focused business, which is looking at transport needs and then saying, is the car the right vehicle or what sort of car is the right vehicle for that? So it's just putting the customer in the middle. And really, not even so much in the middle, it's at the front of the proposition so that it's, you know, it's this evolution of useful. I had another guest join me a couple of weeks ago, Ben Cooper, who has a business whose uh, tagline is, uh, we do useful, which I think is really interesting because it is now all of a sudden about the customer and yes, much less about yell and sell. Very much so. I mean, I think the yell and sell, the old days of Joyce Main TV advertising, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they, they, those days are gone because people don't need to have stuff shouted at them. People have the ability to go and search and seek and look for what they want. So therefore, as marketers, we've got to be cleverer. We've got to understand a person's needs and then use the insights, use the data, and then try and serve up or, or, or publish or deliver the right sort of information that person wants. Yeah. So you were on the tipping point of this customer experience little black dress juggernaut <laughs> in 2013 by trademarking it into your yeah. Mercer Bell name. Correct. What made you think that this was coming? What was what was your insight? Yeah, look, I mean, if you look back over Mercer Bell's sort of 18 years, we've always evolved. We've had four slightly different positionings. And back in about 2011, 2012, I picked up a Gartner report and this was covering the rise of customer engagement agencies or customer experience agencies in America. 
And so I thought, right, bugger it, let's go to the source. So I went to America, went to New York for a week, and I organized a bunch of interviews with all of the big companies that were moving into customer experience. And I basically sat down with all the, as many MDs as I could for about, and I saw probably about, uh, you know, 15 CEOs, spoke to a few journos, and realized that this was actually not just a little sort of blip. It was a move. It was a big shift in the way agency structure came back, pitched the idea to the management team. They went, yep, sweet. And we thought, well, let's let's actually trademark it. Yeah. Because there's value in that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so we've been on this journey a lot longer than probably many other agencies. We've been in it for three years. But the key thing I can't stress more is that it's not like you go, da-da, I've just got trademarked customer experience. Customer experience is evolving every day. We're on sort of CX, you know, 3.2. It's like, what's our next offering? How do we make sure that customer experience um, is is relevant today? Because it's so different from what it was three years ago. Yeah, of course. And technology is obviously driving that and the innovation in technology is driving that. Yeah, look, I think technology is probably one of the biggest drivers in the in the communications industry. And we've we've moved beyond the digital agency. We've moved into the era now where Technology is so pervasive um, because it's how it's how we as people, you know, access stuff, isn't it? We yeah. use technology every day, every yeah. minute, every second. It's how so, we order our food. Yeah. It's how we book our doctor's appointments. It's how you get to work. It's, exactly. It is our driver. Yeah. And actually, that's a really good point because if you think about the technology, what you've just described is platforms, isn't it? So yeah. we're now really all about platforms. Not networks. Not anymore. networks. It's no. menu log for your food. It's Netflix for your movies. Yep. It's Foxtel for your live sport. It's Uber, Uber for your, for your transport. You know, So the whole world is becoming platform focused. And as marketers, if we haven't got good tech skills, we're going to get left behind. So does that mean that every agency or every brand are just like they did maybe, you know, six, seven years ago, you saw the rise of community managers and I've got a social media manager or I've got a general manager of social media, but you saw all of these new disciplines come both into client and into agency. Do you think that that now means because we have to develop platforms to catch the consumer's attention, does that mean that we're going to have coders sitting in most agencies and developers? Yeah, it does. And actually, there's two parts of that, okay? The first part is, how do you integrate technology greater into an organisation? And the answer there is that you focus first on the customer and you understand, you know, what product product or service you're selling and then you wrap around the technology around that customer, okay? So that's, that's happening and we're seeing technology becoming a major part of marketing teams. The second point around... Will we see those skill sets coming into businesses? Yes, and it's already happening. So already we're seeing with many of our clients the desire to bring in-house a lot of those skills that you would traditionally outsource yep. to an agency. So as agencies, what we've got to realise is clients are looking for a hybrid model. Yeah. And we've got a couple of clients who already have got a number of designers, coders, operations guys sitting in their business. So do I. Yeah. So, so how do we, you know, we just got to recognise that is a shift and we've got to understand what sort of skills can we implant? How do we perhaps turn over those skills? Because the key thing is that a lot of people who work in agencies love the, the variety of work. Yes. Suddenly, if you're just stuck in one client as a coder, mm. just on one client doing one sort of, you know. So maybe the role of an agency is to, is to keep people motivated, rotate new people in, take yes. old people out. It's also, you know, a re-rise or a rise again of professional services. I think that, you know, certainly from my perspective in the last 10 years, agency world in a lot of ways has been a race to the bottom. I'll just do any shit you need me to do so that you keep me on retainer, which is not a great facility for either their staff who are not 
then very motivated because they're not learning anything and they're not getting smarter or better. No. And it's also not very good for the agency because it's not driving any acumen. It's not professional services. It's dog body resources yeah. that you could have put up on Airtasker. No, you're right. Really? And 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 the other killer, of course, is that the margin's low. So Yeah, then the margin you know, looks like, you know, 10, 18, 20%. Yeah, why bother? Yeah, it's just not worth it. So, And that's also a shift, isn't it? I think that, again, a lot of clients are looking at perhaps bringing execution of campaigns in-house. So yeah. content management, deployment of emails, site updates, etc. So again, maybe that what that's got to do is got to it's got to really agencies have got to realize that we have to assume a much more strategic and higher role. And that ultimately will mean less agencies. And let's face it's more it, premium way, quality. The, well, there's way too many bloody agencies. It's, you know, is there's the, the the market is overserviced and uh, nobody is making the sorts of money that they would expect to um, or were doing so 10 years ago. wonder where they'll all go, though. Like, you look at some of the really big reports that have been coming out lately from certainly New South Wales and the Department of Creative Industries, which is part of industry and investment, and they're talking about, you know, the creative industries being only second to mining in New South Wales yeah. um, in terms of what, you know, the, the turnover and the revenue yeah. it generates, right? Yeah. And a lot of that would be through cottage industry, home working freelancers, people that are doing things, you know, yeah. for, for no money in a very unregulated, unaward-waged environment with probably no tax and no super. I reckon yeah. half of that would be those sorts of people and yeah. the other half would be agencies. You know, I suppose where do they go as things do become more premium? I'm a great believer that things have to become more premium. We've started yeah. to find the floor. Yeah. Now we need to find the ceiling. The work has to start getting better so that it's not just a prolification of stuff. Because at the moment, you look on the interwebs yeah. and it's just stuff. Yeah. Programmatic means there's more stuff yeah. that is potentially really irrelevant. Yeah. Um, because there's no way of working out whether what you've searched for you've actually already bought. Yeah. So there's huge amounts of redundancy. We've got to get better at that. Yep, agree. So then what happens? Yeah, look, I think there's a couple of things happening, isn't there? I think one is that, if you like, the sort of distribution of mass content, and some of it is good, customised and personalised, but a lot yeah. of it's not. So I think marketers have got to really sort of raise the bar, I think, and they've got to really say, look, this is about really what we've got to get back to. It's quality, not quantity. With people, I don't know, I think that we're just going to see a natural shift of more, let's call them creative people, whether they're, in, you know, in a writing content or a strategy. I think, I just think they're more clients will have marketing teams will broaden to include some of those skills. Um, so I think we're going to see companies becoming probably more adept at, at actually delivering broader, bigger campaigns. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Look, it's a bad thing if you're an agency and you're looking for clients, but... <laughs> yeah, but it's not necessarily a bad thing for the market, though, either. It doesn't seem like it's as big a challenge in bigger markets like in Europe or in the States, but in a small and highly competitive market like Australia, yeah. it does seem that in a lot of cases... Um, cross-discipline, that it's kind of a bit of a race to the bottom yeah. on price and quality. Yeah. Yeah. So if the client does take a bit more responsibility or the marketer does take a bit more responsibility for the output, yeah. it can only go then that the quality raises yeah. and that yeah. the agencies that do stick <clears throat> around have to compete at quality level. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think, I mean, if anything that can actually raise the quality of the work and perhaps cre create an environment where we can get paid better, that'd it's be got to nice. be good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd be nice <laughs> for everybody. 
let's change tack for yeah. a second. You know, you've just very recently sold your independent business and you're quite a scaled independent business. You've got yep. sort of 65 staff yep. at last count. So yep. you're not, you know, 10 staff in the back room. You've got quite an amount of people to look after. You've just sold to publicists. Yep. Publicists have been on a buying spree. They're yep. looking around to obviously fill out their disciplines and yep. they're probably one of the ones to watch, I would say, toward yes. the future as they're yep. rounding out their expertise. Yeah. Tell me, what's that process like? Yeah, yeah, look, um, I guess, look, just for clarity, we're actually being bought by Saatchi and Saatchi, which obviously is part of Publicis Group. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll be aligned with the Saatchi guys. But, um, look, the process has been fascinating. It's been hard work. It's been tiring. <laughs> I like fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> it's been challenging. Um, but overall, look, we've achieved exactly the outcome that we wanted. And so I'm really happy with where we're at at the moment. We sold the business in February. We're going to be moving our business into the Saatchi building. We'll maintain Mercer Bell branding. We've got a whole floor. And so really it's up to us to then say, how does Mercer Bell integrate its CX offering with that of the Saatchi group? Look, I guess the thing I would say is if any if anybody's listening who's about to sell a business, the one there's a there's lots of advice I can give you, but the first piece is get good advisors. Mm. Because in what, we, in what respect? Well, Kate, look, you know, we, we work in advertising marketing. You know, I'm not a lawyer. No, uh, are you? I mean, no. you know, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a, a tax accountant. And so, the t- the two advisors I would say is make sure you get a really good accountant mm-hmm. um, who can help you with um, capital gains tax and and structuring the business yep. for sale. And the second piece is getting a really good lawyer. The share purchase agreements that you sign are about 150 pages yeah. and they're really in-depth. Yeah. So you need to have people around who understand the nuances of what you're agreeing to now because they will ro- they will roll out over that earn-out period of three years. Yeah, or whatever you agree to. Or, so yeah. what, what was your outcome? You said at the, the beginning uh, there that, you know, you got what you, yeah. the outcome you were after. What was the outcome for the business and for you? professionally and personally that you were that you were after? Yeah, look, I mean, Mercer Bell, we set up in 99, so we've been going about 18 years. And, you know, we got to a stage billing about 12 mil, but we, we were just not getting the growth that I really wanted. And then last year, Toyota announced that they were going to move their operation to Melbourne. And that's a big thing because basically in order for us to continue the relationship, and that's a big client, it's one of our larger clients, yeah. um, we'd have to set up Melbourne office, which is great, but there's a fair bit of cost with that. And at the same time, um, I got a phone call from Mike Rabello, CEO of Saatchi, saying, Nick, you know, where are you guys going? And so as the conversation progressed, it seemed like a really good fit. Toyota's moving to Melbourne. Toyota's one of Saatchi's largest clients. Yep. Why don't we try and bring our teams together and create a much more consolidated approach for Toyota? And more value for them, I Yeah, suppose. more yeah. value, better products, greater efficiency. So that really kicked off the conversation. Um, so for it was us, really a client that started the. Yeah, look, it was it was partly the desire for growth, and and then really, I guess Toyota was the catalyst because yeah. you know being a large client, we wanted to make sure that that was continuing in our business. So really, growth, Toyota, but also the third point is, I can feel that we're going through a period of consolidation. And, you know, procurement is becoming more important in the client-marketing relationship. And clients, their marketing budgets are being reduced, their headcounts are lower. They just can't deal with five, six, seven agencies on a roster. It's way too much. It's a full-time job just dealing with the agencies and not yeah. doing any work. Yeah. Yeah, you know, agreed. So, and then if you look at the agencies now, we're all basically coming we're all really coming to the same sort of point. We're yeah. all becoming 
digital strategy content tech, okay? So the disciplines of sales promotion and, um, you know, direct marketing, they're, they're lessening. So therefore, clients are happy to go with a consolidated group yeah. if they get better savings and they're dealing with fewer people. So for us, I just feel that it's the right time for us to become a part of a larger group. Um, I don't think it's the end of independence, Kate. I mean, yeah. you know, look, there's always going to be entrepreneurial people coming up and actually starting businesses. Mm. But I just don't know whether they will get the same ability to scale up to the size that we've seen of big independents like the monkeys and the works. Yeah. I think that those days, they're going to be tougher, I think. Yeah, you're part of a um, a well-trodden path. Obviously, Match has recently, yeah. you know, sold as well. And I don't know John Preston, but he has very affluently sort of said in, in press that, you know, he saw the same sort of writing on the wall for yeah. his business that he was saying, you know, in order to scale and in order to create some efficiencies for our clients and be a better buy and an easier buy, yeah. you know, that's what he saw coming, sort of, yeah. you know, 12, 18 months, 24 months down the track. Yeah. So what does that mean for the lower end or the smaller end of the market in your viewpoint? Like, I know that there will always be people that start businesses and there's yeah. always a role for niche yeah. as well, I think, yeah. within that matrix. But does it mean that you know, the market becomes less creative because there's less disruptors or...? No, no, I don't think so. I think you're always going to have disruptors. That's a natural part of the market and that's the exciting part, that there's always going to be people who can think they can do things differently. I think, look, the, the big pressures, what I've seen coming into a large group, the biggest pressures facing um, large networks is margin, you know, and, and we're finding we have to deal with lower margins. So therefore, you know, people resources. That's our biggest cost. Yeah. And I think that the old days of setting up, um, you know, a large agency with lots of people, I don't think that's what clients are looking for. Clients already are bringing some of the work in-house. So agencies Seems have really change. impersonal, doesn't it? It does, you know. And I, I think that maybe the, the whole sort of full-time employment has got to be questioned. Yeah. You know, and maybe agencies need to be more nimble and have more people who are not necessarily working full-time, but, you know, experts they can go to. So, you know, we've, we've got quite a number of these sort of collaborative groups already uh, yeah. around Australia. And I, I think that the, the, I think those will continue. I think we'll see more collaboration. So it's almost like the middle piece has been taken out. Yeah. yeah. I it's think, almost like the middle management of the 80s. Yeah, yeah. You I know? reckon you're going to get these big agencies, you know, the big publicists, the WPPs, those guys are going to own the big relationships. Yep. Um, and then you're going to, the middle part's going to be less, there's going to be fewer people like ourselves and then perhaps a rise of more smaller, collaborative, nimble groups. Yeah, that can bolt into those yeah. bigger players but also into brand yeah. and media. It's interesting times though, isn't it? It's because great. We don't yeah. know what's ahead of us. I think that's the other really dynamic force within the market is yeah. what else is coming. Yeah. And we were freewheeling before <laughs> about, and we'll get to speculation at the end, yeah. but depending on you know, where we're going or what new rise of technology happens yeah. for the market is who knows what we will have. You know, yeah. will we have virtual reality agencies? Yeah, probably. In three or four years. More that than, are, maybe next year. You know, exactly. <laughs> like now that they're now that it will be yeah. freely and readily available across a multi you know, multitude of suppliers, just, yeah. is that what happens? Yeah. You know, or is are there three sixty agencies now where it's all about three sixty video because everyone's gonna have a three sixty camera for Christmas this year? I think look, Kate, definitely. And you know, somebody gave me a piece of advice early in the days of Mercer Bell, and that was always have the ability to look around a corner. You might not know what's around the corner, but, you know, just the fact that there's going to be something new around the corner, okay, right? Yeah. And that happens all the time. So, you know, you've got to be adept and you've got to be able to cope with change because, yeah. you know, 
obviously. And, and technology, because technology is driving the change. So I, I think there will be lots of different models coming up. And what's, what's going to be really exciting is that I think the smart companies will work out that in order to keep a competitive offering for their customers, they're going to have to start using and spend more money in new technologies and, and find the next thing, you know, yeah. the next VR, the next 360. So Because that's already here. Yeah. So, look, I think we're just going to be in that continual iterative, innovative space and clients will say, you know, in order for us to compete with our competitors, we have to have the next thing to keep yeah. people's interests. So it's a really good segue into what do you think of all these new labs that are popping up? I've been lucky enough to talk to a couple of innovation, yeah. you know, heads of, which are just, I, I want that job. Yeah. Like, seriously, yeah. I want to sit in a lab and break stuff. Like, yeah. how good would that be? Yeah. Um, but, you know, th there are more and more of them. Qantas has a lab. Yeah. And has an innovation team. I met one of them, super smart guy, comes from a digital and tech background. Yeah. Super switched on and is trying to work out how to how to create a customer environment for Qantas that yeah. means that they keep choosing to fly. So it, what a what a great and interesting proposition. Yeah. In order to buy an air ticket with us over someone else, I'm going to create other useful things that make you want to buy it with me. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think of this rise of, like, innovation and labs? Oh, look, I think it's great. Like you can. I'm really excited about it. And I think what's really exciting is that we saw a, we saw a wave of agency setting up labs. You yeah. know, and that sort of, I don't know whether that, that's, I'm not sure that's worked that well, to be honest, because yeah. I think <clears throat> the ideation and the innovation really has got to sit in the business. Yeah. Um, I was talking to a guy uh, from Amex who set up a lab for Amex back in London about three years ago. And what was really interesting is that that's now they're feeling massive change because of the innovations and the ideas and the change in thinking. Yeah. So, you know, again, Qantas, yeah, look, everyone would assume they, they fly airplanes, you know, yeah. they've got a frequent flyer program, you know, but... But Qantas obviously is all about an experience. Yeah. And so therefore, yes, so they're going to continually look for ways to enhance that experience and create a level of competition that, uh, that will allow them to rise above a virgin or a tiger. So I think the, the key here, Kate, is the smart companies understand you've got to invest in a lab. A lab is not cheap. No. You know, a lab comes with, you know, technology, it comes with people. Um, it comes with nerds. It comes with nerds, you know. It I comes with nerds. risk. Yeah. Know? It comes with all these sort of crazy things that yeah. can... That, you that, could that break actually, stuff that's yeah. really expensive. Yeah, but it's. I think it's, you know, I think that the big companies, the smart ones, see this as long-term investments. Yeah. And they, what they've got to do, though, is that, you know, again, it's a bit like CX. You know, building a lab is not like, da-da, I've got it. You've got to keep, you know infusing it with new thinking, yeah. you know, bringing people in from different industries, you know, whether it's from, I don't know, the public sector or the teaching sector or the psychology sector, you know. And having access in and out of it to make yeah. it more robust. Yeah, because really, you know, a, a lab has got to exist around not having similar people. It's got to have completely different people thinking yeah. about different ways to tackle those situations. So, it's got yeah. to have black hats and white hats to go, this is a good idea, this yeah. is a shit yeah. idea, why? Yeah. Now pull and push it. Let's yeah. see if we can't make it better. It's insane, isn't it, though? Yeah. Imagine having this conversation 10 years ago. Yeah, look, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it? It probably would be a different conversation and possibly people might say, I think I'd like to do that, but they probably wouldn't realise that all of those things that they thought happened probably in five years. Yeah. You know? And I think that that's, you know, the state and rate of change yeah. for our industry yeah. as 
you know, we're respondents. I always think of like the agency and, and marketing sector, if you like, within, you know, advertising, regardless of your discipline. We respond. We're reactive to what the client wants, whether it's right or wrong, yeah. we react to that and yeah. we service things. We're a services and professional services industry. Not often have we traditionally led, but I think now it is such that there is an opportunity for agencies and advertising because of the nature of digital yeah. and being at the coalface of that innovation and tech rise yeah. that you know the agencies do know more. Yeah, no, look, Kate, without a doubt, I think... You know, that's that's another... I'm In fact, I was in a meeting yesterday evening with a client um, who's recently joined, and I said, you know, what else could we do for you? And he said, Nick, you know, quite simply, if I know that you're thinking about the problems that are keeping me awake at night, even though it may not be your remit, let me know. If you've got some good ideas, you know what the issues in the, that the business yeah. are facing. Be proactive. Come and tell me, you know. So I think... You know, I think we as agencies have to recognise that we just got to go harder, faster, and we've really got to immerse ourselves in those problems and yeah. find ways to try and solve them. Yeah, for everybody's benefit. Yeah. Just for life's benefit, the community at large, <laughs> you know. Um, so that that leads me to a couple of questions. One that I've always wanted to ask someone who's recently sold to a big, you know, more corporate agency group. What's it like going to work after you sell? <laughs> What's that day like? I think lots of people would want to know. You walk yeah. in and go, so, hi. Yeah, look, it's exactly the same. I yeah. mean, you know, <laughs> you know, the, day, the, 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 sort of the day-to-day piece is exactly the same. Yeah, look, you know, we're going to have a new office and, you know, God, I'm actually going to get a view of the harbour, which is great. Woo-hoo! Okay, so I've made it. Um, look, I think... The key thing about selling a business is you've got to be really clear about what's that three-year path, why you're doing it, is the fit right? And that was that was one of the key things for us was making sure that the fit with the group that bought us was really was really good. Yeah. Um, culturally, um, do we share similar values? Um, do we have similar viewpoints about how we work with clients? Um, do we have the same respect for certain parts of the business? And, and we found that with the guys at Saatchi. So, and also, you know, I'm still sort of CEO. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, I've, I report into you know a, a new yeah. range of people, but. I'm still responsible for my bottom line. Yeah. And if I don't, you know, in the past, if I didn't make my bottom line, I, you know, I'd, my wife would kick my ass. You know? <laughs> I was going to say, kick yeah. your own ass. <laughs> yeah, I'll kick my own ass. But, yeah. you know, now I've got other people to kick my own ass. And to be honest, that's like life. You know, I mean, yeah. yes, I had 18 years of kicking my own ass and my wife kicked my own ass. But, you know, I accept the fact that we're in a bigger organisation, there's a greater level of responsibility and, and diligence. So yeah. it's up to me to make sure that we achieve and overachieve um, and, and continually grow that business. Is it hard going from being, you know, your own freewheeling boss and making, you know, your own decisions, not that you're not making your own decisions now, but, you know, out on your lonesome to reporting into someone else and going, hang on, I probably need to check that. Look, Kate, I think the answer is no, I don't think so. Let me check in with you in a year, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Look, at the moment I don't think so because partly also this move about becoming part of a group, um, you know, it's quite exciting because I'm changing my role. Uh, We also get access to much bigger clients, uh, we're going to set up a Melbourne office. I'm looking at how can we get That's some exciting. resources. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so for me, it's almost like we've got the opportunity to sort of turbocharge this business. Yeah, it's like an injection of ADD. You're yeah. just like, yes, okay, yes. good. Yeah, and I think we can do more as a business. We can become better, a better agency, a bigger agency. But 
it's going to have to be done within the confines of a larger group. You know, yeah. our reporting structure, our um, our costings, they'll, they'll be much tighter. Um, but look, I, I, like I said, you know, one of the things for me is that if you've got an agency and if you're not growing, you're basically going backwards. Yeah. And another person gave me a piece of advice many years ago and said, Nick, never sell when the business is going down. No. Always sell on the up. up. You know? because yeah, sell when you're awesome. Sell, sell when you're awesome, okay? Because... If you sell when you're awesome on the up, you can, you know, you just get bigger. And people, it, agency's like a thermometer. If you're not growing, it feels like you're a bit stagnant. Yeah. And so I think, um, I think we've got this chance to really sort of um, grow significantly, you know, new offices, new people. Yeah, congratulations. That's massive. Thank That's- you. 18 years hard work, yeah, right? It doesn't yeah. just happen overnight. A lot of people sometimes <laughs> go, oh, well, you know, they were always going to sell. And you go, well, I wish, you know, wish I hadn't known that. I'm sure there's lots of um, <laughs> those sort of comments where you go, 18 years, guys, 18 years. Yeah, look, you know, <laughs> actually, Kate, look, we didn't we didn't set up with a, a sort of like a magic goal of saying we'll sell. We just set up because we thought we could do what we were doing on our own. Yeah. And... You know, I would say to anybody, give it a go because there's nothing more fulfilling than actually going out, setting up a business and having having a crack at it. I you agree. Know? And, you know, people say, you know, you're lucky, yeah, but also you make your own luck. You know, you do things yeah. to put yourself in the right place at yeah. the right time, don't you? Yeah, you strategically put yourself in the yeah. right place so that, you know, your risks are risks, absolutely, yep. as a business owner, but they're also calculated risks. Yeah. You've got to back yourself and yeah. you've got to back yourself in Yeah, as well. Once yeah. you've strapped in, yeah. you're in, we're doing this. Yeah. Every failure isn't an option. I've yeah. got my house riding on this. That's right. We're going for it. We're going for it, you know. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, you get faced, you know, you lose a client or something goes on, you know, and you get faced with a really tricky situation. But again, you've just got to look at it and then say, well, look, you know, if I have to lose some people because we haven't got the income, that's what I've got to do to protect the business and the ongoing growth of the business, yeah. you know. Um, and our position in the market, I yeah. totally I totally get that. It doesn't mean that some days it's not completely lonely and no. quite difficult <laughs> when you're sat there going, right, this is going to be fun. Yeah. Um, as they always say, you can't see the beauty without seeing the pain first. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so right. that that leads very nicely to you know how do you having run and owned and operated an agency in probably one of the most competitive markets in the world? How on earth do you have a social life or a home life? How do you how do you balance those two things? Because I think as an entrepreneur, you know, though it's very rare that we have advice. Everyone talks about you know work life balance. That's kind of a bit of bullshit, yeah. though. Yeah. So you know, what are what are your what are your tips? What are your tricks for creating some boundaries so that you don't blow up? Yeah. So that yeah. you've got some yeah. some life. I think. Look, one of the things that I use is is sport. So you know, I, I sort of I've been doing triathlons the last five years. So I'm up at sort of quarter past five. So I use sport as a way to just. Just to sort of take the stress out of the day, um, I use fitness as a way as a way to perhaps distract from some of the pressures or some of the stress. And I'll give I think, you an hour with your head turned yeah. off because if you're sweating your butt off yeah. and can't breathe because you're running so hard, you can't think about no, that spreadsheet no. you haven't finished. But actually, the funny thing is, though, you know, you get on a bike. You know, I'm doing it like I did an hour and a half this morning, and all of a sudden, I just realised that there was this issue with this client. I thought. I've got the solution. I can see it. it's right there. So, so subconsciously, I think also your mind is actually sort of working. But so, I think sport for me has been a great way to to make sure I don't spend all day in the office. You know, when we first started, I found myself like working all hours, all weekends because 
you can actually work, you know, like 18-hour days. And I did that. Yeah. First three years of Contented, seven yeah, days so a week, 18 hours a day, y- on email at all hours, flicking them back from yep. my phone, yep. any any device, yeah. just keep going, just yeah. keep going. Because you know that you're building a business and therefore why not use all those hours to grow the business? Just go. Just go, work hard, okay? Yeah. But then you sort of get to that point, at some points, you'll realise it's not sustainable. Yeah. And it's not sustainable for you, it's not sustainable for your staff. And I think that's the other point, is that you've got to set an example to your staff. And so all the staff know, there was a period I went through where Nick is not available, Tuesdays, Thursdays, at lunchtime. Where is he? He's at the gym. And I, I was like, guys, do not interrupt me, okay? I'm going to the gym. That was my point, that was my time out of the office. So... Um, when you set these rules, people follow them. Yeah. So, you know, Kate, I think it's about setting, and people sort of make sure, they, they understand that I use fitness as my way of trying to get a bit of balance and not work all hours. Um, and it's really important because that sets the tone. A business, the the work-life balance. But, you know, if you, if you go to a business and you've got people sitting around at 10 o'clock at night, I guarantee you it's not a well-run business, okay? And you should not, not getting, be there. I can't imagine that you're getting much out of someone no, at 10 o'clock no, at night sat not. at their desk because they're you're really not. sitting there going, I hate you, I'm on seek or I'm on Mumbrella yeah. trying to find a new job. Yeah. Right? Look, we, we've always said to people, you know, this is not a sweatshop. Because it's our business, we can sort of set some of those ground rules. So generally speaking, there's people in at 7.30 because they want to work early, um, but it's it's generally rare that somebody there after 7 o'clock. If they are there, it's because they've got a bit of a workload on that day and they know that if they're there till 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock one night, they might just come in, at, you know, might sneak in a, a, an extra half hour in bed, you know, the next day. Yeah. So again, I think it's about give and take. You've got to be, you've got to, you can't just, you've got to have rules, but you've got to have allowances. Yeah. You know, and if somebody's recognize. working on a pitch to yeah. a fever, you know, late at night or yep. is helping helping out in a way that is over and above, yeah. that there's some reconciliation against, okay, well, you get a day off then yeah. or, you know, you can take the morning off yeah. or, you know, you get to go do something really fun with us yeah. next time so that there's a bit of a payback. Yeah. I mean, I th- just an- another thing that we did early on was actually we sat down with an advisor, with like, like a, um, a HR advisor and said, okay, how do we make sure we actually do what we want to do in the day you know you've got so many hours and so we've sort of the the senior management team basically have got like sort of six things that we do and so we just we just focus on those key things because you can get distracted so easily can't you you know that just just answering your bloody emails could take you what an hour well, so, you, you know, as you would, I get four, five hundred emails yeah. a day to three yeah. different email addresses. Yeah. <laughs> like it's ridiculous. Yeah, and I, you just go, oh, I could just answer emails all day and actually get nothing done. Yeah, and that's not a good sign of a healthy no. workplace. No, and, and and I think you know again another sort of key to getting the balance right is being able to understand what is a priority. And what is mm. not, you know, and really focus on the, the key things. So my, my role really in Mercerville now is, is about uh, new business, senior client relationships, and how do we evolve our customer experience offering. So that's what I've got to be focused on. You yeah. know? And, and I really make sure that, you know, I, I'm not getting distracted, you know, doing silly shit, you know. Yeah, or checking, or, you know, can you just check this schedule for me or could you check this estimate like that? That's not my role, there's, is it? There's people it's, for this. Yeah, that's yeah. not That's a waste of your time yeah. at your level. There's yeah. no point me checking this. And Kate, also, I think, you know, the other thing that I've noticed actually, I mean, here's a crazy fact. I was looking at the rates that we're charging in clients and thinking, you know what, we were charging the same the same rate per hour as we were 
five years ago. Oh, God, we've just had this discussion hey? with my finance manager. Yeah. Like, yeah, so mad. They've, yeah, they've not gone up. No, but cost the have gone cost up. of all my staff and rent, yep. and every single other thing we yep. touch, including couriers, yeah. our ink cartridges, everything that we do to run a business has gone up by about twenty percent. Yep, and our rates are still the same. Exactly. Yeah, work it's that nuts, out. isn't it? Yeah. So I think you know, again, that means that you've got to be really clear on priorities and make sure that your staff are really clear that you know what's their role, um, what should they be doing, and not. And what should they not be doing, you know? And cutting yeah. out wastage, cutting out duplication. Um, that's a big thing that we've really focused on is how do we get um, our sort of utilisation of people better and cut out duplication. Yeah, so like um, double handling or, you know, you know, too much internal crap. Like yeah. stop meeting each other. I and don't also, want you to meet each other. I want you to go and meet the clients and do the work, not yeah. meet each other. A client does not want eight people from the agency sitting in a room. No. It's, that's just yeah, not... Yeah, there's more than two where well, there's something wrong. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. do you have rules around that? Do you set, you know, hard and fast rules around that? Look, hey, we are fastidious about our utilisation rates. Mm-hmm. So each department has its own um, utilisation rate. Yes. And so, for example, if you look at, say, an account director, an account director on a piece of retained business should have a utilisation rate of, say, 80, 80%, 85% of time working on clients, okay? And the other sort of balance is, um, you know, admin, new work, new business, um, training, mentoring, etc. The studio is 105% because those guys just just crank through it, okay? So they just, you know. So um, we we look at our utilisation every every month. And if I go back when we first started, probably about seven or eight years ago, we realised that um, our utilisation was such that we were billing, say we're billing, you know, five million, we were losing a million in underutilised or non-billed. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, Same. We, we've I'm all nodding been there, in okay, agreement. Right? We've all been there, okay? You so, go, so I just paid <laughs> for last year. What? Yeah. It's not until you have that aha moment as a as an entrepreneur, you're so busy doing. Yes. I'm taking the business. Yeah. I love new business. I love my clients. Yes, go, 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 go. And then you go, hang on a minute, did I just pay a million dollars for the privilege? Yeah. And, and that's why, you know, sort mm. of you've got to put those processes in place, exactly as you described mm. timesheets. So now today, essentially, you know, sort of um, the time that's logged on the, onto the timesheet is the time that's billed. So we, we're at a stage now where I think we're probably – the most efficient we've ever been. That's great. Well yeah. done, you. Yeah. We're it's taken us, not there us a yet. while. <laughs> <laughs> We're certainly not there yet, but well done, you. <laughs> it's an interesting one, though. I think that certainly I did, and I think that a lot of people listening would find this the same, and this isn't about, you know, where you're at in your career, whether you're junior, senior, mid, a lot of, I think people think it just happens by chance <laughs> that you just go win the work. Yeah. It just is profitable. Yeah. And the margin's good. And yeah. then you deliver the work and there's not a huge margin for error. And it just continues. And that's yeah. how it cycles. Yeah. You know, there's a reason that, you know, the film and television industry for such a long period of time, certainly from my industry side, mm. you know, have big things like 20% contingencies on yeah. TV shows because shit always goes wrong. Yeah. Someone always changes their mind. Someone gets sick. Someone pulls out. Something breaks. That's why there are big contingencies. And our market, the ad market, if you like, or the yeah. brand market, has eroded that contingency factor. Yeah. yeah. But it still expects that when things go haywire that yeah. it's just fixed seamlessly when it hasn't been factored in. Yeah. So I think that certainly they're the learnings that we're starting to make around being really transparent with the team that it just doesn't happen. 
Yeah. That we've got to be accountable to hours. And whilst yep. it's really boring and it feels, it does in some ways, like I do my timesheet, I own the companies. Yeah. I do my timesheet yeah. and curse it every Sunday night. <laughs> but it's really accountable and it yeah, makes me yeah. then go, I also look at my hours and go, okay, so Kate, you worked every night this week from yeah. 8 o'clock till 2 in the morning. That's kind of not on either. No, no. It also makes you a little bit more accountable to yourself as to what, additional stuff that you're doing that you're like, well, maybe I'm not working as effectively as I could be. Yeah, yeah. If I'm having to do all this stuff at night, what's going yeah. on during the day? Yeah. So it does really start to, um, you start to critically evaluate, I think. You do. And I think because you're, I mean, because it's your business, it's your money. And it's, yeah. it's the lack of money or the money going out the door that, you know, so therefore... I, it's a good motivator. It's a good motivator, isn't it? And But also you realise that... And if I go back to the question you asked me about, you know, now that we're sold into the business, but the thing is, I've got to make sure the business is profitable today and tomorrow. And, you know, if I cannot, if, I, if my business is not profitable in, you know, in, in next year or two or three years' time, then obviously the, the, the Saatchi guys are going to say, what the? Yeah. Um, so we... Now hang on, Nick. Know, what did yeah, you sell me? That's right. I mean, they've, yeah. they've invested in our business and I've got to make sure that I return that that investment. See, so it means making sure that you've got the right structure in your business to be able to delegate the accountability down to all of the staff and make yeah. sure everyone understands, you know, that you're all going, you know, you know, what's the saying? Singing off the same hymn sheet. And I think it also allows a breed of entrepreneurship. Like I love that word at the moment, entrepreneur versus entrepreneur. And to be fair, you know, there's a lot of room for it. Yeah. I think that the only way there is room for it though is when the accountability is such that it's not a, I turn up, I do my stuff, I go home. Like, yeah. There needs to be more accountability for particularly senior people, senior yeah. staff in agencies, so yeah. that they can be entrepreneurial, so they yeah. can feel like they, they free will their own destiny. Yeah. And look, I think entrepreneurship is is a really interesting, it's a really interesting sort of rise. And it's probably almost easier to do it in a client than it is within a bigger agency. Yeah. Because the pressures of agency. So again, from an agency boss perspective, trying to promote entrepreneurship means that you're going to have to allocate a chunk of money and a chunk of time for people to brainstorm, innovate, ideate. And, yeah. you know, I think that's, it's almost like you've got to have that long-term view. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to invest gonna... in this entrepreneurship because it's going to allow us to have better products or better services or better thinking, you know, down the track, which we can then but sell. But not right now. But not right now. Yeah. And, and that's the problem with, with, with um, a lot of businesses where it's all sort of a bit short-term focused, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. We're all trying to make that deadline in 24 yeah. hours. Yeah. Yeah, which is very hard. Well, this is my favourite part of the podcast <laughs> where I ask you to speculate. <laughs> I always start with things like, you know, 10 years ago yeah. we weren't on Facebook. Yeah. No such thing as Snapchat. There was no Instagram. You know, I couldn't talk to my phone and make it do things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So where will where is it going? Where where will we be in five or ten years? What's your thoughts? Okay, look, if I um, maybe I should look back on this recording in five years and see yeah. you know see whether I was whether I was right. I think broadly speaking, there's two things that are going to happen. One is the rise of AI. So we, we've already seen you know artificial intelligence. I mean, it's been look, it's been around since the Turin. Cup, which was awarded, I think, about 20 years ago. So AI has been on the rise, but now it's actually coming into consumerism. It's now being being used by companies. So we're going to see the continual rise of data insights feeding real-time artificial intelligence helping us. Yeah. Whether it's a bot, you know, um, helping us buy something, a bot helping us 
book the right bus or train train timetable. So that's I think that's a given, and we're going to see that across all devices at some yeah. stage. But I think the juxtaposition to that is that we'll still see this rise of the need for human interaction. You know, as we were just saying a bit a bit earlier, I think that you know with the rise of of um, digital and e-commerce, um, and so people are having less to do with people, I think we're going to get a little bit of a backlash. And I think that the power of a human interaction um, will come back. Mm. And I don't mean in a selling sense. I think that's probably what's actually pissed people off. Yeah. Telemarketing has probably done the worst job for human conversation, you know. Yeah, hustle is not hustle, great. you know, sell, sell, sell. Often we're dealing with, you know, call centres which are offshore and so therefore sometimes you've got language issues. But I think... I think that we've just got to find a way for where does the human interaction come into the equation? I mean, I can, I can see one thing happening really quickly. Let's take e-commerce. You know, let's suppose I'm going, I, I, I cycle a lot. So I go on to Wiggle, okay, right? And mm-hmm. I want to get a new chain set. Yep. But I'm not quite sure which one it is. I just, I press a little button that says, chat to Jane. Jane pops up, she's a bot, and she says, hey, Nick, how are you going? You know, blah, blah, blah. And for all intents and purposes, she could be a human being. Yeah. Okay? So she's replicating that human interaction yeah. online, and she will help me. And, and literally, it'd be like talking to a salesperson in a shop. So I think, look, you know, whether it's sort of real voice or whether it's artificial voice, I think human interaction or the visuals of humans is really, really important. Yeah. And we'll see a lot more of that. We've been talking for ages and it's been wonderful. Uh, I've been with Nick Mercer, who is the CEO of Mercer Bell, and it's been my absolute pleasure to have you today on The Contented Collective. Thank you, Kate. I've really enjoyed myself. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. The Contented Collective is a contented production produced by Shay Constantine and me. Production assistant Jessica Peach, researched by me and Jessica Peach, edited by Shay Constantine and mixed by Nathan Johnson at Mix Osmosis. To catch up on other Contented Collective podcasts, head to our website, contented.com. 